MSW Media. And now, here's the universe letting us know it really doesn't want us to have a promo from Pitbull. I was wondering if you could do me one quick favor, say, hey, this is Pitbull, and you're listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. Hello, hey, Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, but it's... Oh. It's official. What are we drinking? By the way, you dropped out. Dunn? You dropped out for a second there. I'm saying, if your, your phone went out. Let's try one more time. It's that little chico pit boom, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide. Play with it. Darling. Yeah. <laughs> I think the universe does not want you to promote my show. Every time you do it, it keeps dropping out. No. But don't, don't worry about it, man. <laughs> one more time, Chico. We'll, we'll do one, one more time. time. One more time, Chico. One, yeah. one more time. I'll try one more time, right? Here we go. I'm going to try one more time. That little chico pit bull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and it's official. You are listening to What Are We Drinking with Dan Dunn. You game, play with it. Yo! <laughs> That's good, man. Well, pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. But this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Yeah. <laughs> Do you hear the laughter, Brad? Can you hear the laughter? I can sense it. I can sense it in the room. <laughs> You know why everybody's happy? Because usually when I start to show off, I'm all by myself, but not today. Today is a special day, and we're actually in studio with our roving correspondent, Brad Jaffe. Brad, welcome. Ah, that's refreshing. Thanks for the straws, Dan. Hold on, the crowd wants to acknowledge your presence. Thank you, thank you. Right, you guys you. can sit down. Come on, come on. So, it's good to have you here, man, and, and you are here for a very special reason. You and I... Just returned very recently from, is it the biggest cocktail festival in the world? One of them. I'm going to say in the United States without a doubt. Tales of the Cocktail in New Orleans, Louisiana. It is an annual Bacchanal. Well, it got, sort of got uh, put on hold a little bit because of the COVID, but it is a annual Bacchanal. puts representatives from the world's biggest liquor brands Bartenders, in the same room. Beverage with, directors. Yeah, with the biggest Spirits personalities. Yeah, yes. They're all there. The big business of booze gets done there, doesn't it, Brad? And it's and it's like a spring break sort of situation, I like too. to call it a confab. It is. That's a good word. Yeah, it's a fabulous word. So you and I were down there for the week. There's a million parties and seminars. Right. And how many people would you say are down there? Uh, estimated about sixteen to 17,000 attendees wow. at the 2022, which is the 20th iteration of Tales of the Cocktail, for those of keeping count at home. Insane. And I've been to about 14 of them. And, and one of the person that was down there, Miss Frankie Marshall. Miss Frankie. Miss Frankie Marshall, a world-famous uh, keeper of the bar. and Spirits and, educator. Spirits educator. And in a little while on this episode, I'm going to be running a little chat I had with her down there about 
Martel Cognac. That was fantastic. She she really just brings so much knowledge and information and <laughs> pronunciation as well, which yes. is really important to me because I don't speak a lick of French, yeah. and she just nails it all. Anytime that I've ever hosted something with her, she's just like, uh, no. She's very polite. She's like, she'll say the word that you said wrong and just be like, oh, okay. <laughs> she's amazing. Also down there, you and I uh, had a little powwow with our old friend of the show, Mr. Brian Cranston. Immortalized That's in right. bronze. That's right. That's right. He got. It says we met with him. We met with Brian, and, and, and again, Brian has been on this show. Brad has hung out with Brian numerous times. Interviewed him. Went to stores, stocking stores with Dos Hombres, uh, Mescal with to him. the but, Valley. He's the only person that I will go to the Valley for is Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul. That's right. And uh, we had, we hung out with him on Thursday, last Thursday. It uh, whatever I don't know when you're listening to this podcast, but for us it was last Thursday. And in New Orleans, and the following day, he went to Albuquerque, New Mexico to meet up with Aaron Paul, where what happened, Brad? They had bronze statues of their likenesses in in the show. It's not Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul, to be clear. It is Jesse and Mr. White. uh, From Breaking Bad. From Breaking Bad, their iconic roles, and they're there. Uh, watching the unveiling and they're they're pulling the sheet off of it and there's this incredible photo that I encourage everybody to go take a look at which is just this expression on Aaron Paul's face while he's seen the bronze liking likening of him for the first time and he is really quite elated and we actually have some audio of what uh, what uh, Brian said when he saw the statue you clearly don't know who you're talking to so let me clue you in I am not in danger, Skyler. I am the danger. A guy opens his door and gets shot, and you think that of me? No. I am the one who knocks. Classic. Well, he was really excited that's for that a, statue. That's, yeah, that's, that's actually what he was saying to most journalists. That was live footage of what he was saying to some of the other journalists at our round table. Yeah, he's, uh, he's a great dude, and we're gonna, Brad and I are going to uh, listen to some clips from the chat we had with him and and break it down a little bit but um i was hoping to get you did a lot down there you what are some of the highlights of tales things that people out there some usable information were any spirits you came in contact with and by that i mean quaffed <laughs> absolutely i mean what what i love is when you're hanging out with one of these brand people or spirits educators or anybody that uh you know is in deep with their specific liquid, and then they break out that secret hip flask, you know, that's unmarked. There's no label on that whatsoever, and you know something special is going to come out of there, and that moment happened uh, with Mr. Steve Olson, who is a, um, you know, you're good friends with him. He is a genius uh, and has been involved with uh, Del McGay for, what, 25 years now? Yeah. Since 1995. Who the hell was talking about mezcal in... 1995, you know, Steve and Ron Cooper, the guy who founded <laughs> Del McGay and, uh, and the two of them, you know, you're seeing a lot of mezcal available in the United States right now, but it's all built on the backs of these two, two guys because there was no mezcal coming. Yeah. Ron was the first one to have the idea that let's try to bring some of this stuff in. And just so everybody understands, Del McGay is not a distillery that makes mezcal. It is a brand. What did Steve describe it as? They're sort of like it's a collection of palenques. Palenques is how they refer to these farm. They're as much farms as they are distilleries. When you go down there to the hills of Oaxaca, um, but I believe it is five separate um, villages that they work with 
Um, and that's why they have this single village uh, program, single village series. So when you look at a bottle of Del Maguey, it'll say, you know, single village, and then it'll tell you what village it actually comes from. Um, and um, they have some spectacular liquids, of course. And, and what I love is that they are not resting on their laurels. They were you know, at the forefront, at the vanguard, as we said before, but they have not, you know, like dumbed down their product in any way, shape or form. When something new comes out from them, I want to try it immediately. And uh, they're still making some of my favorite uh, spirits, period, on the market. Now, Would you say it's the gold standard for Mezcal? Um no disrespect to our, I don't want to Brian want Mr. White knocking on my door. You just he played is the that one who clip. knocks, man. You gotta um, be careful. He could knock right now on our door. So I'm just going to say, I very much enjoy Del McGay. And I was really, really appreciative of uh, Steve Olson at one point bringing out that hip flask. And it was a pechuga expression of Tobala. Um, you are familiar with Pechuga, but for your friends and listeners at home, um, this is a product that it's a type of mezcal that is usually used for celebrations, for quinceañeras and weddings. Um, and they will put into the still uh, cheesecloth that is filled with all everything from chicken carcasses, which is the most common additive, to cinnamon, to, cho- you know, maybe not chocolate melts too easily but all these types of corn husks and everything that you might see on the banquet table they put into a cheesecloth the vapors pass through this cheesecloth during distillation and it gives this crazy savory christmasy kind of tonality to mezcal it's it's amazing stuff and they've also played around with i know they had the, the ham yeah the ham infused mezcal which is just not just any ham dan it was iberical ham Iberico. that they did in conjunction with jose andres so n- no big deal yeah, he's a chef of some note i believe he does yeah. he has some repute you're right that was a big highlight any any other things that jump out at you in terms of parties or things you've tasted what well, parties no one wants to hear how much we partied although i, I will say this it, i'm it, gonna say some of thing. these parties were absolutely insane we went to our friend uh simon ford from forge gin had an, an incredible yeah incredible part actually the first night we went perno ricard had a party and i thought this was really cool it they featured six bars that unfortunately were not able to weather the storm that was covid and bars that closed during COVID, and they brought the the bar teams back together, getting the band back together, and brought these six. Bar- I don't remember what all six. I know one was the Nomad. Mm-hmm. Uh, any others? Existing can- conditions was yeah. there, and it was really cool because they brought back the bar teams, and you know yeah. they've all since moved on to other gigs. But nice to have that happen, and they recreate some of the cocktails that they used to signature cocktails from these late great uh, drinking establishments. Totally. I-, I love. Any time where you're either a partying with a purpose, as they say, or there is some good theme, uh, you know, not just a bullshit theme, but actually like that was really cool to be able to taste drinks from these bar teams that aren't assembled anymore. Um, I think is really awesome. And I loved you mentioned Simon Ford's party. That was the 10th anniversary of his gin. And what was really cool about that is that there were all these different bars set up throughout the room, a uh, massive room is like, you know, convention center pretty much. And each room or each setup was, okay, well, do you want to drink uh, from uh, Katana Kitten and Masa's behind the bar there? Um, and do you want to go upstairs and drink from Two Schmucks, which is like a really reputable, well-known bar in Barcelona? Or it's like traveling the world in one place. And then what's nice about being down there in New Orleans is that, if you want to take a break from all of the revelry that's official revelry, revelry of <laughs> tales, 
there are just so many great places. I, I spend a lot of time in the chart room, yeah. which is a classic. I don't want to say a dive bar, but it's a it's a down and dirty New Orleans bar on Charters Street down there. And, bar Tonique. Bar Tonique cool. is another great one. I, I did a little stint up at DBA on mm-hmm. Frenchman's, which is another great... Did you hit any other yeah, I was, cool bars down there? I believe I was there that night, on the first night with you, um, and uh, one of our good friends who works with the Samson and Surrey portfolio. So we got to taste some, again, some really good mezcal, mezcal vago, um, which makes their elote, which is kind of like mimicking, when we're talking about pechuga, this mimics kind of the flavor of the traditional corn street food that we all love, elote. Um, And Paul Letko walks in and it's like, oh, here's here's Paul. Let's just, you know, drink some some wonderful bourbon with Paul. I'm a big fan of his... um, What's it? The cold cut bourbon yeah. that he cuts down with instead of cutting it down with water, proofing it down with water. It's cold brew coffee, which is just genius. That's the perfect breakfast bourbon, Dan. Uh, did you get to try the Black Rebel Motorcycle Club uh, collab they're doing? I didn't because I'm Jewish and we're not allowed to have anything to do with motorcycles. It's, it's a cultural <laughs> thing. A, your mom will yell at yeah, you. Yeah, she will call me on the phone. She'll know somehow. The band, Black Rebel Motorcycle Club, uh, collaborated with, with Few. And they've got a whiskey. I don't know if it's out yet, but it, it, but I got a. I, we tried some, and I tried some, and it, it's really a delicious. Paul would say he said it's. I don't want to say entry level, but it's it's a whiskey that is going to be agreeable to people who might not be, you know, whiskey diehards. <laughs> what I love is. Um you know, some of these people that are high up that they could be the ones making it. Um, they get sometimes a little bit uh let's just say well lubricated and then they'll open up to you and like tell you things about like what they have in the pipeline that maybe they shouldn't be talking about or that they wouldn't say if they were completely sober and i'm just like in my head just like nodding like you know you're saying this to the one person that you shouldn't be saying it to oh yeah by the way, I don't know if you can hear the airplanes going by over top. We're we're actually doing this uh, right by the Santa Monica Airport today, and it's a very warm day, but not as warm. That's why I got the windows open and everything here. But man, New Orleans does hot and muggy like nobody else. It does. It? it does mugginess for sure. Um, I was in London uh, right before I was there, and I was lucky enough to be there on the hottest day in the history of the United Kingdom. And the difference here is that. Yeah, like it's really muggy and unpleasant in July in New Orleans. But every time you step into a room, this cold blast of good old American air conditioning just greets you in the face. You cannot escape it in London because there's just no air conditioning. Nobody's prepared for that. That's terrible. That's terrible. But I want to ask you how you're feeling after that week at Tails. You feeling okay? Yeah, I took the day off yesterday. I know we were just talking before the show and you did not. But I just took one day off from drinking um, and, you know... Uh, doctor's orders that, uh, you know, <laughs> don't you love if you, if you guys are, are ever going out to your physical and they're like, so how often do you drink? And it's like, how, by what factor am what I going to reduce by? the number? Yeah, exactly. Lie. Yeah. It's, uh, I, uh, I, I, I didn't. Okay. By any normal standard, people out there listening, if they knew the drinking schedule that we kept, down there they'd be like this is this appalling yeah how does anybody survive this but yeah for me this year this is probably about my maybe my 14th 13th 14th 15th tales i've been going since the middle aughts when they first kind of started it and uh and then obviously we had a break a few year break because of covid but i felt like a real adult doing this one i didn't um there was no point where i 
felt like I used to. And 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 to illustrate what I mean, but I I dug up an old uh, an old thing that I uh, diary basically that I kept, and this is from Tales of the Cocktail two thousand nine. Back when the, the idea of doing this for a living was probably not something you'd ever thought of, right? You were probably like 17 years old 2009, that yeah. That's 13 years ago. I, I wouldn't even have touched booze at that yeah. time. I grew <laughs> up in a Mormon house. That's right. So 13 years ago, Tales, I went down there and I, I kept this little journal and I wanted to throw it out to you, but I just compare and then and now. So, you know... Wait, this is 2009, you said? Two, 13 years ago. And okay. I, 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 I got into town and I was still kind of feeling human and I went to the Carousel Bar, which you know is in the the main lobby of the Hotel Monteleon, which we were used just with Marvin the other day. Used to be the Legend. the hub of Tales. It's now since moved to the Ritz Carlton, but it, it used to be the headquarters of Tales, the Monteleon in the French Quarter. And so I get there and I get in the bar, and it's 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 early, early. And by force of habit, I I, I look around. Right, I did a spot survey because I like to know who I'm drinking with. You know, I like to check out my temporary family. Before I get soused with him, are you are you in agreement with that? Yeah, of course, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So I see this guy; uh, he's like one stool over, mid fifties. Uh, he's got a tie dyed T shirt on that read "Love Sucks, True Love Swallows." Wow. Yeah, and then he turns. Classy. Yeah, classy guy. So he turns and looks at me. Really, he he tried to. Uh, his pupils were swimming in opposite directions. Mm-hmm. You know this, right? The the reverse cross eye. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's. Uh, I've Googly seen it before. Eyed. I've seen it in the mirror. Sometimes I've seen it. It's an uh, occupational hazard. So he takes a long contemplative drag off of. He's got two marbles going at once, and he takes a long drag off one of them, and he says, "If alcohol kills millions of fucking brain cells, how come it never kills the ones that make me want to drink?" <laughs> and this. My friend turned out to be an entirely appropriate introduction to 2009 Tales of the Cocktail. I was on a site at the time, as you know, I was writing for Playboy magazine. This is uh, the third uh, edition. I believe the first one was 2007, I want to say. No, it can't be because if this was the 20th. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Excuse me. 2007 is when the Spirit Awards Yeah, started. that's when it's. So it was probably about the 6th or 7th. Yeah. yeah, okay. And I, so uh, I was writing for Playboy at the time, so I was down there on assignment. After all, you know, Brad, I am a professional i'm an out an upstanding member of the international drinking press absolutely that was probably back when there were even expense accounts for journalists. <laughs> yeah, there was about <laughs> seven of us doing it so i kept a journal and here's a couple highlights and we'll see how this matches up with our tales experience so wednesday 10 a.m i'm hanging out at the carousel bar off the main lobby of the hotel monteleon with my new vision challenged friend you've heard this part before okay 10 30 a.m i roll into a panel discussion called Big Trends in Cocktail and Spirit Service, featuring Jim Meehan. So at the time, PDT had a bar called PDT, and he was he was a he was an upstart, young upstart, up and comer in yeah. the business. And in that week, he would go on to win Bartender of the Year at the Spirit Awards at Tales, and Blew that up. launched his. He's one of the catapulted biggest figures in the business, and it remains that way. They also there. Michael Waterhouse, you know Michael Waterhouse, and uh, Simon Difford, he, Englishman. What's he got? That Difford Guide, the Difford's Guide. The, the, that is an incredible resource, by yes. the way, for any kind of ephemera or esoteric information you want about any cocktail. So he was there as well. All right, so now we go ten thirty four a.m. Down sample cup of cocktail of a cocktail made with Tommy Bahama rum. No wait. Turns out this is not a cocktail at all. 
rather just a plain old shot of Tommy Bahama rum. While can this has got to come out? Fucking plane! Is a plane landing in my fucking living room right now? Is that Santa Monica Airport? It's right here. Yeah, and like all the fucking flyboys are out on the weekend. Okay, let's try that again. Ten thirty-four a.m. Down sample cup of a cocktail made with Tommy Bahama rum. No wait. Turns out this is not a cocktail at all, rather just a plain old shot of Tommy Bahama rum. While conceptually impoverished, it tastes woody, smooth, almost nutritious breakfast life. Woof! There's a woof in there? I put a woof in there, yeah. Uh, 10.44 a.m. Differed opines that cocktails made with fruit are out, and that classic cocktails are where it's at these days. 10.45 a.m., Jim Meehan counters that he's all about cocktails made with grapefruit, blood orange, kiwi, and pineapple. Differed, in turn, threatens to drown Jim in the pool. Wait, or maybe it was, wow, Jim, you're cool. Frickin' British dudes and they're hard-to-understand English, right? And you've been living over there. Yeah, I know. It's really difficult, especially once they start drinking. 11.22 a.m., Waterhouse just referred to cloudy apple cider as a great lengthener. (laughs) And quipped that size matters when it comes to ice cubes. I can't handle this sort of sexual innuendo before noon. Time to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> These are my notes, by the way, for Playboy. You can see why I no longer have the job. Well, Playboy's not around, is it, Brad? Ah, uh, I don't... I believe they have different uh, pay structure there now, let's say. 11.23 a.m. Are you keeping track of the time codes I here? I want to make... 11.23 a.m. Down another sample cup of Tommy Bahama rum for the road. I'm not even halfway through the first day. And every trace of shame has left my body. 11.36 a.m., back in the carousel bar for a few rounds of Bacardi daiquiris, an attractive spirits industry professional. Try out new pickup line about how love sucks and true love swallows. 11.38 a.m., attractive spirits industry professional has to run. Literally, apparently. I decide to stay a while and keep the daiquiris company. By the way, that should be the title of your memoir, Keeping the Daiquiri's Company. Yeah, Keeping the Coladas Company. Yeah. I like, You're I'm more of a Colada sucker, sucker for alliteration is what I am. Um, but I was just, yeah, I was, I was trying to remember who uh, has, because Tommy Bahama Rum is still a thing. And Sazerac. Yeah, it's part of the 375 Park Avenue portfolio. And that was kind of a, a very funny moment for me. Uh, during this tales is like, you know, you're talking about uh, being adult and uh, kind of keeping things uh, in check and in moderation. And it was like literally 3.30 in the morning and I was at Bar Tonique and they were doing a portfolio tasting of an agricole that they have that's sensational, uh, St. James. Oh, yeah, it's good stuff. Um, from Martinique. Um, so that's, you know, like an earthy uh, type of French rum that's made from uh, fresh pressed cane as opposed to molasses. And their ambassador, who's who's a lovely, lovely human, um, <laughs> pours us this liquid, and and she's like, "This is how we're going to start." And we're like, "Oh wow, this smells like really assertive," and we drink it. And it's like, "Whoa!" It was basically one fifty one without oh any warning God. or anything. It's four o'clock in the morning, and we're just going to start this tasting with one fifty one. This oh. is actually one hundred forty eight point six, but who's counting? Crap. So maybe your tales was like mine back in 2009. We'll <laughs> I jump, didn't have any Tommy Bahama. We'll jump there. ahead to 4.44 p.m. This is the first day, Brent. While having a late lunch of Maker's Mark, Red Stripe, and Fried Shrimp Po'boy at a watering hall called Coop's Place. You've been great to Coop's place, place. Great place. Right in Decatur, I believe. Right there, right there. Yeah, I meet a local woman with tar-colored hair, moonish eyes, and plasticine skin. 
She looks like the daughter on the Adams family, except with a decent personal trainer. She swears, Brad. She's a real vampire. And while she certainly looks the part, I don't buy it. So she offers to bite my arm and suck my blood. I tell her that's way too weird for me. As if to illustrate my new shame-free existence, we make out instead. Wow. Yeah, it's great. Um, by the way, if she bites you, that doesn't prove that she's a vampire. I know, but she tried. Yeah. She she wanted to do it. And I outsmarted her, uh, I guess. Also, I will say that um, you know, you're saying that she probably looked a little bit like Christina Ricci. Yeah. Um, and the difference is, if you went to Tales today, like you would actually be more likely to see the actual Christina Ricci because exactly. she'd have some sort of. <laughs> she's uh, got a brand. She definitely has. She doesn't a have one. She's going to have <laughs> Christina one. Christina Ricci Cachaça. <laughs> <laughs> Six p.m. I'm back at the Monteleone again and heading into a seminar called. You need to get the fuck out of here before you make an ass of yourself. That's the name of it, actually? Oh, wait, no, no. That was just what I wrote in my notebook for this oh, time frame. Okay, so in lieu of an actual seminar, I bumped into King Cocktail himself, Dale DeGroff, perhaps the world's most famous mixologist, and I begin telling him about how I just made out with a vampire. 6.01 p.m., Dale has to run. I'm beginning to notice a pattern. 6.03 p.m., down sample cup of something. Could be rum punch. 6.04, down another one to be sure. Yep, seems like rum punch. Rum Clement? Isn't I saying that right? Yes, Clem- Clement. Clement. This requires... Yep, we need Miss Frankie. <laughs> this requires further investigation. Another sample cup. I realize my powers of deduction are paramount. It says rum Clement punch right on the side of the sample cup. Mm-hmm. So I celebrate with another one. Like a tea punch. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 6.10 p.m. Headed back to my room for a power nap. The next entry in the diary is Thursday, 8.30 a.m. <laughs> that was one powerful goddamn nap. I feel like a new man. We'll jump ahead to 2.55 p.m. I'm wondering if anybody else finds it ironic that the average age of the attendees at a seminar called Port, not just your grandpa's drink anymore, seems to be about 67. <laughs> no, that's not a joke either. I was like, wow, this is kind of ironic. Okay, 5.51 p.m. Oh, dear God, it's Jeffrey Morgenthaler of Clyde Common in Oregon. Now, whenever I spend time with Jeffrey, this is from my, from, this is from my notes, I wind up uh, drunk or in jail or both. So naturally, I rush right over and ask him how the bar business is doing up in the Pacific Northwest. In this economy, we're all fucked, he says, handing me a sample cup of absinthe. Some things never change. Yeah. We nod solemnly and slam them. We have just created the official drinking game of Tales 09. It goes like this. We're all fucked. Hey, I know. Let's get even more fucked. By the way, that kind of seemed like the theme on this year, too, didn't it? It did, yeah. From financial crisis to financial crisis. <laughs> We're still here. pandemic. You'd think we'd have people smart enough to fix it, Brett. Yeah. Oh, wait, here comes another plane. We're just going to talk through this one. Yeah, let's talk about all... Listen, the- if you're out there listening to the show and you don't like planes, well, you're not. What are you? If, if you are in a fan of planes, you should make a comment on uh, Dan's site or on, on social media and let him know what kind of aircraft that was that, was that just flew by. I bet you somebody could identify that. At the Imbiber. Tell me what kind of plane that is. All right. Cessna. 7.12 p.m. I take a stroll down Bourbon Street to sober up. That's always a <laughs> Which smart Which speaks move. volumes about yeah. how much of an ass kicker this festival is, right? Mm-hmm. And I pass at least three guys sporting the Love Sucks, True Love Swallows t-shirt. 8.14 p.m., suddenly I'm feeling nostalgic about the days of, my, of old when my dad used to wear a shirt that read, Mustache Rides, Five Cents. I drop into a t-shirt store to look for one, but the old bearded guy behind the counter tells me they discontinued that rude stripe of misogynistic casual wear years ago. Besides, he adds, shaking his head ruefully, you can't get a mustache ride for five cents anymore anywhere. Yeah, inflation. <laughs> 
even back then. <laughs> we're almost done. Problem. I swear we're almost done. Sunday, 11.15 a.m. Okay, nap ran long again, but Christ, I needed it if I was going to walk out of this town alive. Besides, my work here is done. I have taken the temperature of the industry. Remind me to wash my thermometer. Now I've got bigger fish to fry. What, you ask? I'm bringing back the five-cent mustache ride. All proceeds will benefit the Imbiber Home for Wayward Spirits publicists. You can tell the Nobel people to forward the prize to my Playboy editor. That poor bastard deserves it. <laughs> so you can't believe I got fired from Playboy? It's weird. I thought that it was a mutual departure. No, they got rid of me. Okay. They threw me away. They got me out of here. Um, anyway, let's, uh, let's, let's Did- take a quick break, and then we're going to do the Brian Cranston thing. You ready? I'm so ready to take a drink right now. So while at America's Biggest Booze Fest, Tales of the Cocktail, I ran into one of my oldest and dearest friends in the business, H. Joseph Ehrman. The fact that H. is the proprietor of one of the country's best cocktail bars, Elixir in San Francisco, is enough reason for me to love the guy. But H. also happens to be one of the fine folks behind Fresh Victor. You've probably heard me say this before, you can buy the finest spirits in the world to make craft cocktails at home. If you use lousy mixers, you're going to get lousy drinks. And let's face it, whipping up cocktails at home can be an expensive hassle. We don't always have time to go out and get fruits and veggies and squeeze them and juice them, or at least I don't. And that's why I'm all about Fresh Victor. Fresh Victor is a line of all-natural, clean-label cocktail mixers that taste fabulous. All of the ingredients are fair trade sourced. There's no artificiality, none. And the bonus of Fresh Victor of a ready-made canned cocktail is not just the jump in quality and freshness, but the fun of actually making yourself and your guests a fabulous drink. And rest assured, these mixers are produced at a 100% solar-powered juicing plant with absolutely no waste. And right now, Fresh Victor is offering a summertime special exclusively for my listeners. Simply go to FreshVictor.com, fill up your shopping cart, and at checkout, enter promo code WWD20 to get 20% off your order. Don't hesitate. Now's the time to treat yourself to the very best mixers on the market, and that's Fresh Victor. Okay, so you probably heard me mention another rum brand earlier in the show. And honestly, I like that rum. But with all due respect, it isn't my go-to. <laughs> For it to be my go-to, like doesn't cut it. I gotta love the stuff. And I absolutely do love me some Batiste rum. Batiste is the first sustainable American craft rum. Use an eco-positive, solar-powered manufacturing process from beginning to end. They make it from 100% pure, fresh cane juice. They're not using molasses. They're not using sugar crystals. If you like your tequila 100% agave, then you'll love your rum 100% cane juice. And most importantly, it's a hella fine rum to be enjoyed neat or in cocktails. So I got a deal for you. Well, better yet, the fine folks at Batiste do. I'm just the conduit here. Go to BatisteRum.com, that's B-A-T-I-S-T-E-R-H-U-M.com, fill up your cart and enter code DUNN, D-U-N-N, at checkout to get 20% off everything you've ordered. That's moolah, greenbacks, cold, hard cash. We can all use a little more of that these days, right? Folks, Batiste Rum is my go-to. Make it yours. It's proof that great taste with true sustainability is not a goal for tomorrow, but a reality today hello i'm shannon sharp of skipping shannon undisputed and you're watching what are you drinking with dan dunn and we're back from that little break you know i always encourage you to take care of our sponsors so please do please you talking to me no i'm not talking to you i'm talking to brad jaffe oh that's me roving correspondent brad jaffe 
I can't believe we got you here, man. In studio in Los Angeles. It's been a long time. It's nice to have you, man. You're it's it's you're you're never you're always parts unknown. It's good to be back here in Lo- in Burbank, California. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. It's good to be here. At Thanks, the, Johnny. <laughs> it's good to be here at the Santa Monica Airport where we're recording today. At least it sounds that way. Okay, so as uh, as we mentioned earlier, uh, Brad and I did a little round table with some other people uh, with Brian Cranston. And um want to play a couple of little highlights from that. Uh, it started off with uh, Brian ribbing <laughs> one of our fellow mediaites who happens to look very young. You'd say he looks young, this gentleman. He's, he's one of our roommates, actually, during the week. Uh, That's right. During we, the week. we stayed at a house down there, and he stayed with us. Can I say his name? You can, yeah. Jared. Jared Ranahan. Great journalist. Great journalist. And he looked... He, Jared... Uh, looks like a teenager. He really does. He's a very young-looking guy, and Brian Cranston noticed that. You know, you can be you can be a bartender for a lot of years if that's your is like this is like a party every night. You know, are you old enough to sit here? <laughs> <laughs> Just barely. I mean, look at this guy. How old are you? Twenty-seven. Twenty-seven. You look like you're fourteen. He does. <laughs> 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 like, but that, you know, I got to tell you, it's not a bad thing. Yeah. Being moisturized is a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. alone. <laughs> See, drinking spa helps. treatments right. and things like that. Yeah. Drinking helps too. Yeah, drinking keeps you, drinking keeps you young. Drinking it's good yeah. for your skin. Yes. Yeah. Do you believe drinking is good for your skin? Um, you know, you're right here next to a big block of wood, so I'm going to take my chances and say this: that um, I have not gotten the uh, the thing for the past two and a half years, and the one uh, co- continuity throughout that time is that I've been drinking a lot. So, well, no, that part's good. I'm not, it's not your, that part. I, I asked you if it's good for the skin. Oh, and for I, the skin what I was trying to do was tee it up. So, cause I'm a little older than you. Yeah. And this was our chance and we'll edit this. So it makes it sound <laughs> natural that you actually said what, yes. I, and you're just going to, well, Dan, look at you. Look at your, <laughs> look how vibrant, uh, I was going to say crisp. I don't really want that. my skin to look crisp. You're, you're like a vampire. I've had a horrible Dan. accident. You're um, like a vampire. Okay. So uh, well, I, we're never going to say, by the way, disclaimer, we're never going to say drinking's good for you. <laughs> All right. Don't fucking come at me. Okay. And then, uh, so after that happened. Also, I will say, um, you know, uh, being with Jared this week, you saw that he was getting carded at 27. Were you getting carded at 27 years old? Oh, my God. I got carded till I was about late 30s. Late 30s? Yeah. That's yeah. incredible. Mm-hmm. That's Not anymore. Incredible. And then I, a few years ago, as Brad is aware, I, I was my most recent long-term ex-girlfriend, significantly younger than me. And that was a real humbling experience because we would go places and they would say, uh, can I see your ID? And like she'd go, reach for, and I'd reach for mine and they'd say, no, we're not yours. <laughs> was she um, closer than half your age plus 13? Because that's the rule, right? Or no, half your I was, age? I was more significant than that. <laughs> well, you see how attractive I am. Look at me. I'm very attractive. Isn't I, that, I, I, I attract the young ladies. They like me. Isn't that the rule, though? It's half your age. No, it's half your age plus seven. Not that's my rule. Those are, <laughs> those are your rules, buddy. Not mine. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah, no, I, I don't have that rule. I don't follow that rule. I okay. never have. So uh, next up, I fired one of my... You would, I'm kind of famous for my hard-hitting journalism, and I fired one of those questions off at Mr. Cranston. Right. I, I was wondering something. You know, we were talking earlier outside about when you and I did the show, and I think we drank together for about two hours over the Zoom. I will not admit to that. How does it feel to be back in public and shaking hands and drinking with people in person? 
you know, human beings, man, we're, we're social creatures. We need to connect. And I think the entire world was feeling repressed from not having that access, not being able to engage and interact. Unfortunately, the technology is so good that it almost makes you feel like, oh, I see them all the time. We're zooming and hey, I see them. You look great. And look, a new haircut or what? So it almost gets you such a close facsimile of socializing that you almost don't realize you miss it until you get out and you go, oh my God, no, I haven't really experienced getting out until recently. I mean, we're all in that boat. I did a movie called uh, Jerry and Marge Go Large. Mm -hmm. I believe you started laughing when he said that. Did you see the movie? It's, it's, I did not, but that's a funny title. Can we say that? Jer- it is I, very I just, funny. Yeah, it's very I funny. like rhymes. They're yeah, it's funny. very funny. Funny title. Rhymes I didn't see it either, but it, it, but I think you laugh right here. Let's. Uh, I'm giving it away. And I know <laughs> that's not my laugh. The, By the way, you sound like a, you sound a little dainty when you laugh. I'm just going to say that. The Jerry and Marge, or it was the <laughs> going the going large. large. The going large. <laughs> um, and. Uh, some people say, why did you do it? It's such a sweet little movie. And I go, yeah, because that was the first film I did uh, after the lockdown. And I wanted to feel better. I wanted to have a sense of community. I wanted what you were suggesting is I wanted to be able to connect with people. And that movie was that with Annette Benning and I. And there, it was like, oh, this is nice. This is great. The sweet, true story, you know. And as I tell people, I said, that movie will not change your life, but it could change your day. And that's, there's, there's value to that. That's sweet. Like there's that. really value yeah. to that. We were talking about t-shirts earlier? T-shirts. That might be the thing. Absolutely. Do you think he said that? Do you think that was his thing? It was a really good or quote. Did, did, I don't. Yeah, did, you know, did he did, did he the writer steal or it? somebody from, you know, pitch this on that? What do you think about that on a t-shirt? The movie won't change your life, but it'll change your day. Yeah, but it's going to beg the question, like, what movie are you freaking talking about? And that's what I'm saying. It's a great conversation piece. And people go, what movie are you talking about? And you go, what movie do you think I'm talking about? (laughs) You don't want people just coming up to you unsolicited, do you, Dan Dunn? You already get enough of that. Yeah, that's true. I don't need that. You're right. Good point. Fuck that t-shirt idea. Note to self. No more. This is the world's best known podcaster. He's not mentioning (laughs) at Tales, okay? A bartender just came right up to him. And was like, you're Dan Dunn, aren't you? She said she recognized, but are we going to tell the real story? <laughs> so I go, to, we were at this party, and my friend, Kurt, I'm going to call this motherfucker out, Curtis Robinson, <laughs> old friend of mine, he's been on this show before. Curtis is at the bar next door, and he says, come on over. And I love Curtis, I've known him forever. He's kind of the guy that got me started in my journalism career. He was my old editor at the Aspen Daily News way oh, back wow, in the day. Wow. So I go over there. And the bartender is there, and she's great, and she's all cool looking, tatted up, blue hair. And I come in, and I'm ordering something, and she looks at me, and she's kind of curious. She really sold this, and she says, "Wow, I recognize your voice." She goes, "And your face?" She goes, "Are you Dan Dunn from What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn?" And I says, "I am." She goes, "Oh my god, I listen to your show all the time, and now I'm at Tales, and I'm thinking that's my," and I buy it. I'm like, "This is so." I'm so happy, Brad. You were. I, I saw you so that happy. night. And I'm like, this is amazing. Like, it's somebody, you know, and then the he next, described it as the best moment of his life. Best moment of my life. And then the next day, <laughs> I bring it up again to Curtis. And I said, wasn't that cool? And he just fucking rips my heart out casually. goes, oh, I, I told her to do that. And I just gave her a big fat tip at the end. And I go, you're lying. He goes, no, I, and I instinctively knew that he had told her that. And I go, well, why didn't you just let me believe it? He goes, I don't know. I just thought it'd be funny to let you know that I actually told her to do it. 
<laughs> he paid her 50 bucks. He gave her, yeah, That's... he gave her a big fat tip. Anyway. Yeah, so we digress. So next, uh, I had a clip here. I'm not going to run it. It was about the Dos Hombres origin story. Yeah. It's been covered. At, Brad's written about it. You can go back and listen to the Brian Cranston episode of this podcast. We talked about that. So now we're going to jump ahead to uh, Brad actually fired off more hard-hitting journalism. One of his famously probing questions, which actually, <laughs> but what's cool though is this led to Brian talking about something very cool related to his role on Breaking Bad. Once you launched it and, and you're kind of coming into this world where, as you see, there's like a lot of geeks and, you know, they know the varietals, they know all these production peculiarities, if you will. Yeah. Isn't that like a little overwhelming and intimidating to kind of just enter people? thrown into that mix no i like it I, I you know in my my day job i enter every job not knowing i uh, whatever i'm doing lyndon johnson dalton trumbo i don't know i have to learn i have to be a student and so i i not only am used to it i like it i don't i don't mind not knowing i, I it's like i like to learn I, I've learned a lot about mezcal and how it how it's grown and the different varietals and things. But you did used to cook meth when you were young. <laughs> well, but but it, I didn't know it at the beginning. Right? <laughs> I was a student. Like one of these Twitter factoid sites was like you and Aaron Paul like actually learned how to cook meth for the show. We did. <laughs> Actually, it's true. Oh wait, that's um, dude. What that a was great question part. because yeah. I had no idea, and it was so cool. How, where did you find that? There's just some random factoid that came up on Twitter, but it's a verified account. So when it said that, I was like, "There's no way that that's real." It said Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul were taught how to cook meth for their for their roles on Breaking Bad. I'm like, the next time I see Brian Cranston or Aaron, I'm going to have to literally ask them that because that seems too unbelievable to be true. It was, it was so cool. Yeah. Well, yeah, we had... Why do, you, he's got, why do you think he's got that beard? <laughs> yeah. It's a verified fact Twitter thing, so I was like, that seems like bullshit, but... No, it's true. We, we had DEA chemists who were consultants on the show. And so... The, like, like, you're doing it wrong. No, the idea was they, they taught us step by step how it's done to us Vince Gilligan and our entire writing staff it was a very it was a select few people who were in this class basically <laughs> and said here's how it's done now we make sure in every episode where it shows us cooking it is specifically and purposefully uh, shown either out of sequence or missing <laughs> or missing several steps so it's like, so someone watching the show, they say, I got it, I got it, I know how to do it. Finally, that person's gonna blow up. They're gonna blow up in a little shack somewhere. It's not gonna work. Um, but they they taught us how to do it so that we we don't accidentally do it right on the show. You know? It's like it's like oh, and it's very it it's, it actually reminded me of the detail in in making mezcal because it's very specific. By the way, there's a bunch of people running out to buy Dos Hombres right now. They're like, what's in this mezcal? We don't yeah. need Sudafed. Fuck Sudafed. Tobala. <laughs> like a great chef, you could put the ingredients of a beautiful meal in front of me and say, here's all you need. Make a beautiful... And it's like, I can't do it. I can't do what a chef can do because they're trained to do it. And they can, it, it would taste so different. It's the same thing with mezcal. You could, it's a, there's a recipe connected to it. 
and they you have to do it just right how many days they want it to ferment how hot they want that copper kettle to be how how that flow comes out twice filtered three times filtered what i mean it's like it's all recipe and it's held very tight they don't they don't reveal you know how they they do it Really so you cool. know more about making meth actually than you do about <laughs> actually making mezcal is what you're telling us. I I well it's like like that old saying I've forgotten more than you know you'll ever know. Um, I I couldn't I couldn't make it if I uh, I would blow myself up if I tried to make it. <laughs> I don't know if he's talking about mezcal or meth there. I but, think probably both. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is impressive though. I mean, he's you know he's done a really good job of educating himself i think on what's going on because you and i know this and you you do it more than anybody i know i mean and i have a lot of celebs on here I, we both say both of us do S- talk to celebrities that have gotten in the booze game and i would put brian sort of up by the top of the list of of people that have really taken the time to immerse themselves in it and and figure it out yeah also uh, doing the heavy lifting. So the story I wrote on them was for food and wine, and it was, as you mentioned, following them around the valley as they went to from BevMo to BevMo. The the real joy of that for me was just like, they were driving in like a Dos Hombres little like um, Forerunner or something that they have, and we'd be driving on Ventura Boulevard, and people would pull up and like do this double take, like, what the fuck? Why are Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul driving down the street right now? Like... It was fun to see people's, but the point here is that they go and they interact and they realize that like, this isn't trivial when you're going there to the stores and you're interacting with the people and and shaking their hands like a politician, basically, that's how you promote case sales. That's how you amp up distribution. And now I know that, um, you know, that. Brian wasn't actually able to officially say this, but from my information, from my research, I found out that they're the third highest uh, selling mezcal in the United States right now. And that's insane because they they launched three years ago and they're number three. Uh, that's really, really impressive. He also talked about how he likes to drink his mezcal, how he takes it. Yeah, if he does. Ha- how do you take it? He and we and he gave us an answer. Does anybody want some? Or you guys so he's passing around the, the Tobola, and he does get high on his own supplies. Yeah, point. he certainly does. And I had the Tobola, which is about a three hundred fifty dollars. Right. So, so I had not tasted that yet, but I don't know if you had. No, um, I had. They have no. their flagship product, which is an Espadine. That's what you'll find everywhere, which is you know closer to like forty or fifty dollars a bottle. I, I'm not sure, but this one, as you mentioned, way more expensive. Only released several times a year. I was super super jazzed to try that. So he was passing that around. Yes, yes, Tobola or. This is literally the latest that I've drank so far. Let me open up the Tobola. How do you drink it? Neat? I like to drink it neat. Yeah, I, I will. It depends if. Thank you. Um, in my home bar, I, I make sure that the bottle is kept cool, uh, not cold, but in a cool place so that it so that it doesn't warm up. Now that begs the question. What is the temperature, Brad? What is the proper temperature to keep this stuff? Cellar temperature, for sure. Cellar temperature, okay. Um, which is slightly below room temperature. A good deal. I mean, what is cellar temperature? Is it saying right there? Probably about 60 degrees or somewhere between that 58 and 60? Right yeah, that sounds about right to me. You don't want it to be cold, for sure, but you don't certainly don't want it to be warm. And incidentally, that's how I like my red wine to be consumed as well. I know you're a big wine guy, and I'm so pissed off that somehow, some way, it got into people's mind that red wine should be consumed at room temperature. It's very aggravating. Should actually. be cooler, right? Yeah, okay. absolutely. Got a couple more here. So uh, I, he, at one point, uh, he was talking about the town where the Tobola is made. It's very remote. And 
after Brian revealed that, I took the opportunity to get to the real reason we were there, Brad, which was to talk about his iconic TV roles. Three hours outside of Oaxaca City. It's really, really remote. This place has one landline telephone. Wow. No cell service. Mm -hmm. One phone with an amplification. It's on a post in the middle of the town. So the someone calls, it rings, whoever's walking by answers it. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's, how did you post to Instagram while you were there? Oh, we like cell phone. Phone. did we? Oh, wait. I'm thinking. Do you have the number for that phone? Because we should just call. <laughs> yeah. Excuse me. Hello. Yeah. Was, I'm looking for the local. Yeah. Yeah, can, we, can you imagine if we if we just announced here's the number yeah, yeah, yeah. and then oh, no one can get God. through? <laughs> also, just for a moment, he he is being a little bit modest there, which I freaking love that he's not making it a thing. But they've reinvested money into that town and actually like have developed the the infrastructure the communication infrastructure in that town so there's going to be telephone lines and it's not just going to be that one payphone. oh that's amazing and the fact that he did that and he's not like bragging about it to a bunch of journalists let me brag on his behalf i think that that speaks volumes for what they're doing i think it's amazing like did they get any <laughs> idea of who you were or like shows that you were on like is it yeah, there, there was some some kind of buzzy but, like but malcolm in the middle fans yeah, yeah. it would yeah. be yeah. amazing if like Tim Watley. Tim Watley. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's probably got, we talked about this. You probably, like, we joke, but like, Seinfeld is on everywhere yeah. all yeah. the time. Yeah. I bet a lot of people Still, there. To this day. I bet a lot oh, of people might yeah. know you more from Seinfeld than from. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I, don't, I never keep track of that. <laughs> also, I don't you go around, you go around and yeah. ask people, how do you Where know? Where do you mean? Seinfeld is known for giving everybody, you know, the nicknames and everything, and you're one of the rare characters who's two. You're both the anti-dentite and the re-gifter. You know, oh, right. very few people have no, like two no, monitors. Uh, Brad, you're, you're wrong about that. <laughs> I am the re-gifter. You that, are the re-gifter. I am the re-gifter. But I'm not the anti-dentite. I'm the dentite. You're the dentite. How can I be anti it's like, by the way, Brad, uh, work the stereo over there. Yeah, yeah. Coach, please. I want you to go outside, think about what you just said, and when you're ready, go back in. By the way, that's the thing about him, man. He's he's quick, and he loves to give you shit, and it's fun, but it, it's it's always, like, very good nature. Good nature. Yeah. It's sternly dressed down by, dressed by the dentite himself. By the dentite. We still love you. And this bottle will be empty by <laughs> And nobody ever brought up the point where it's like, you know, we will not be re-gifting this mezcal. You no. Know? <laughs> oh, no, no. Could you buy a new house just on the Seinfeld residual? <laughs> no? Seinfeld could. No, yeah. I no, because I never... Uh, I, I only did six episodes. Really? Yeah. <laughs> it's so... You're outside. Your but like you said, it goes over and right. over and over. Yeah, it right. like, and, they, and they talk about me and right. stuff like right. that, but... Uh, and I look different in every episode you because <laughs> because whenever they call, I was doing something else. And I had a beard. I didn't have a long hair, short hair. You know, it's like a mustache, no mustache. You know, it's like, and they didn't care. It's like, uh, they don't care. That's funny. It's, it's also interesting as a personality that um, he transcends. He is recognized by so many different demographics. Yeah. You know, because you're talking about Seinfeld, you're talking about Breaking Bad, which is widely regarded as maybe the best television show of all time. And then Malcolm in the Middle as well. So, I mean, you have like everything from like, you know, uh, baby boomers all the way because Gen Z got really into, they've like started discovering Breaking Bad. Like, whoa, like I love when a Gen Z 
discovers something like it's the first time it's ever been discovered. That's what's happening with Breaking Bad. We had another famous cameo, and you actually got him talking about because you were talking about improvisational comedy and working with Larry David. And if you, you know, you, you had this recurring role with Seinfeld, obviously, and you were brought in to do Curb, so clearly, you, you know, Larry David must enjoy working with you. And what's that, what's that process like being on and, and having that freedom to kind of like love improvise? It. I love it. I, I mean, it's, if you're comfortable in doing it, and I, I am, I've done improv for many, many years. In fact, classes for years doing comedy improv, and it was blast and so getting a call from Larry and he says okay you're gonna be my therapist you know okay. <laughs> he says you have to get out this information you know I have to get out this information and whatever happens in between happens in between so I was just throwing out all kinds of stuff <laughs> <laughs> and saying, you know like Larry okay the last time we talked you said how much you enjoy going to the zoo and watching animals fornicate is that still something that you know and he starts laughing and then Jeff Schaefer who is directing and producing goes Larry stop laughing do it again and I, it, it bounced me back to doing Seinfeld when Larry would chastise Jerry for laughing during a scene in fact, what you see on Seinfeld is Jerry constantly in that state of laughing. That's the best one. That's when he wasn't laughing, just smiling. And that's what they kept. That filled me with so much joy, though, when he said that, because it's like, just imagine that being your working environment where you're just holding back a smile every single take that you're doing like that's how you know you're creating magic if you're just having that much fun while you're doing it obviously it's going to be fun to watch yeah and kind of like what we're doing right now exactly so i kind of brought the round table to an ignominious uh, end by asking i would say i would throw this out maybe the dumbest question of the day but and i asked it because i'm fearless like that brad <laughs> one, one real quick thing it's a very popular debate now uh, it's the it's the modern version of paul versus john Better series, Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul? Let's wow. hear, Let's hear from you. you. I don't know if that's really a debate. <laughs> <laughs> or is that real, or if that's really an answer. Very presumptuous of you. <laughs> look, you're even embarrassed. Look how red you are. We're embarrassed. We're embarrassed for you. I think I'm turning red now, just thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, it's a ridiculous question. I'm a fan of the show. Yeah. I'm in it. I don't know what episode I'm in. I think it's coming up. I think by the time this podcast airs, it will have. I think he's. I read that it was the second to the last episode. That like that's it. This is the better final call. Season. So there's only at this recording there are three left. When this podcast Ever. goes up, there will be two left. Yeah. Wow. So I believe. Yeah, I believe he's in. So yeah, it'll be the penultimate episode he's in. I think the the real question. Uh, let's just say a better question to ask him, more bi- unbiased. Uh, from his perspective, would have been, do you believe that this is the best spin-off show that's ever existed? And yeah. I ask you that. I direct that to you. That's why you're the pro. You ask. Wh- what do you that. What do you think? Yeah, I can't think of another. Joni loves Chachi. <laughs> that's not on your list. <laughs> I mean, Frasier has got to be up there from Cheers. That was a great. You know, that, I, that would be in the conversation yeah, for sure, but not not as good as Better Call Saul. Yeah. Uh, well, there's like. And then there's the opposite direction, which is like, how much milk can they get from this fucking cow? Yeah, where's it going to go from the, here? Because uh, well, I'm watching AMC because of Breaking Bad's or uh, Better Call Saul's on there. 
But it's like, what's how many more AMC? Walking Dead shows? Can, there's another one coming out called Tales of the Walking Dead. I'm like, Wait, Jesus. Is that from ta- that's the zombie invasion Christ. at Tales of the Cocktail is what it sounds like. Uh, let's take one more quick break and then we're going to wrap things up very shortly. We got the interview with my interview with Ms. Frankie Marshall. And now a word from one of our dream sponsors, Miller Lite Bowling Tournament, circa 1982. The score's all even. Glass frame, who's up? Rodney. Rodney! You gotta be a mistake. Hey, you kidding? It's a piece of cake. <laughs> all we need is one pin, Rodney. <laughs> Like beer from Miller. Everything you always wanted in a beer and less. We didn't get my turn yet. I'm going to break this time. Joining me now, boy, on this trip to New Orleans, I've been encountering a lot of legends down here. And uh, she's probably going to hate me for using that word legend because it makes us feel old. Uh, but she is. She's a legendary bartender. And we're going to talk about what she's done and what we're doing here at this lovely Bar Mary Lou Martel Cognac event. Please welcome. Miss Frankie Marshall. <gasps> Hello, Dan Dunn. Thank you so much for having me. It's so good to see you. Likewise. Uh, so everybody knows out there, Frankie, uh, you're from New York, born yes. and raised in New York City. Yeah, you yeah. Uh, are have been making drinks for quite some time. You were one of the original crew at the Clover Club, correct? That is correct. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a, uh, a bar that uh, was one of the uh, first sort of... In the modern craft cocktail resurgence, the Clover Club was one of the uh, sort of forebears out there in New York. So you were on that first staff. Who else was on that with you? Uh, who can remember these people? Ah, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let's see. We had Nate Dumas was there, Brad Farron, uh, Giuseppe Gonzalez. Uh, who else was on that? I know I'm forgetting some people right now. Uh, but it was, it was a really great team, though. And I, I'll be honest, I started as a server uh, and then worked my way onto the bar. Yeah. So, um, but I learned a lot from everybody. So it was it was a really great experience. And did you do you were Dead Rabbit too, right? Uh, yes, I was on the opening team at Dead Rabbit as well, and uh, a few other places like Tipler, Monkey Bar, uh, Holiday Cocktail Lounge, um, places like that. I know I'm forgetting some place. And I ran my own bar called Le Boudoir in Brooklyn. So yeah. So you know your way around the bar. Well, you know, still figuring it out. And we're here at this event. Uh, Martel Cognac is throwing this here at Tales of the Cocktail, and you're making cognac-based cocktails. That's right. And what am I drinking right here? Because this thing is delicious. So right now you have what's called the jus de matin, or your morning juice. So it has orange juice, carrot juice. Uh, it has a little bit of smoked sea salt in it. Uh, the corn liqueur, the Nixta corn liqueur, and of course the Martel Blue Swift. I think I have everything there. Wow. Yeah. Now, when you're, Frankie, when you're trying to come up with these drinks, right, you start with the base. So you start with the cognac, I guess. And then how are you, in your mind, are you already building it or are you just putting stuff in and trying? Or do you have a pretty good idea of how you want to make that cocktail before you've even put the ingredients in? Well, I'll be honest with you. When I was working in a bar, when I had everything you know, at my fingertips, all the ingredients, I would kind of do it that way. Just kind of try a few things, throw out the tin, you know, what was in the tin, try a few more things. Much to the chagrin of any owner, I'm sure. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear that. But now that I work from working from home, because I'm just doing freelance, I have to be more careful and more kind of... Um, 
precise about what I'm trying to create, drink-wise. So with this one, I had the idea in my head already because I just love the idea of, you know, cognac with the corn liqueur, and I and just I just thought, you know, the juices would go well. So uh, so this one is more about playing with the proportions. Um, but yeah, it really depends on the on the drink and the ask what I'm trying to do. So sure. Yeah. And this is a, it, what's interesting about this event is it's talking about. They, they, they gave a nice presentation earlier. You did it uh, about the long, rich history, of not only of, of, of Martell cognac in general. I mean, Martell's been around for over 300 years, right? Yeah. When you're working with a spirit like that, yes. is it, does it feel a little bit more special to you when you're making these drinks as opposed to if you get hired by such and such flavored <laughs> right, vodka company? Right, you know? right, right. It does well. You know, I'm a cognac educator, so I really do respect the category. Um, and, yeah, that's one thing that people don't realize, that cognac has been around. Many of these houses, you know, Martell is 1715. You know, many of these houses go all that way back. So there is that legacy. Um, so, yeah, I, resp- I do respect the liquid, to be honest with you. Um, so, yeah. It's funny. when Even myself, when I'm thinking about, you know, making cocktails yeah. especially now it's hot here in new orleans yeah. and this drink is so refreshing yeah. cognac isn't the first thing to spring to mind when i'm thinking about refreshing cocktails yeah. but it really is yeah. uh, you know from the sidecar to some of you know yeah, yeah on down right yeah well first of all thank you about, for that but yeah i agree and that's also why i wanted to make the drinks this way to, to design these types of drinks because people don't think of cognac like you said, as refreshing oftentimes. They don't think, oh, I'm going to make a summer cocktail. Let me reach for that cognac. So that's part of what I like to do is kind of change people's perceptions and show them that, yes, you can have a refreshing cognac cocktail. And my other drink that we're serving today has um, a little grapefruit, grapefruit cardamom syrup, dry vermouth, um, and topped with champagne. It also has a little bit of saline in it and topped with champagne. So... Again, an easy drinking, light refresher as well. When you, uh, you, you say you're a cognac educator, what yes. would be the two or three things you think most, if you had to convey anything about cognac to the average, not average, but somebody who's maybe not a, an expert drinker, what do you want them to know about cognac? Uh, well, again, about the, the, the legacy the legacy of cognac that it's been made, like as you said, for hundreds of years, uh, that it's made from grapes. You know, cognac is a distilled white wine. A lot of people forget that, too. And that, you know, it is versatile. Uni Blanc? Uni Blanc, you're right. Yeah, or Trebbiano, as I'm we just, say in Italian. I'm just showing off, Frankie. Yeah, as you should. Here. Yeah, no. it's your It's your show <laughs> to do all the show right. off if yes, you'd like. Yes. So, okay, the rich history. What else you got to know about yeah, cognac? Yeah, and uh, like again, it's uh, versatile, the versatility of it. You know, again, people, to your point, that you can, you, you can make drinks with it year-round. You know, you don't just have to wait till the fall and winter, you know, and pair it with apples and pears. You know, you can do so much with it. You got the different, like you got XO, you got VS, VSOP. Yeah. What, what are the differences? Yeah, so VS, very special. A minimum of two years oak aging. VSOP, very superior old pale. A minimum of four years in oak. And the XOs, minimum of 10 years in oak. And mind you, these minimums are often the minimum. Most cognacs are age for much longer than that but those are the minimum requirements it's it's insane i've been over to cognac a few times it's been a while but when you go to some of these old houses and you're talking about the martels and yeah. cavassier and hennessy yeah. and uh, hein places like that yeah. 
you go down in the basement, man. Oh, yes. It, it, I mean, and I've been, and you you have as well. I've yeah. been to a lot of bourbon distillers. Yeah. I've been, but when you want to see some old shit, yes, exactly. <laughs> it's in a You'll see some stuff that, oh, this is, well, this has been here for 200 years. Yeah. Like, what? It's just sitting there, I guess. And, and it, I guess maybe some of it eventually makes itself into a blend, right? Yeah, definitely. That's that's called the paradis normally, or the paradise. Yeah. So that's where the the cognacé. That's where the the master blenders keep all of their prized the oldest cognacs. I and called it. I called it shit. I didn't mean shit. The, the old. What? I said that some of the old shit. The I old didn't shit. Mean. That's also what they call it. You know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I've been they, here for. I've been here many days at Tales. No, you know, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with yeah. you. But it's, but absolutely. And by that time, they've moved it out of barrel into the glass. Uh, they call them the Damjan or the Demijohns, right? They move them so the so the eau de vies don't take on any more of that barrel, the barrel characteristic. So now they're in glass, uh, usually covered in wicker, uh, and then yeah, down in that parody. Uh, so yeah, and some of them do go in certain houses, blend little bits of the older cognac in with the younger ones, and actually that is one distinguishing factor about cognac as well. One feature is that it is about blends. And it's about that really masterful blending of the young eau de vie with the, with the old ones, with the medium-aged ones. So it's all about that. All well. about that. And finally, before I let you go, you know, we talked about you being such an integral part and, and being involved in some of the uh, sort of signature bars in New York and, and all around. How cool is it for you? I mean, we, you know, we had a little bit of a break here, Tails, yeah. uh, because of uh, apparently there was some sort of a pandemic going on that kept us all away. How cool is it for you to be here now and, and run into a bunch of old friends and people like that from the industry? Honestly, it's so re- it really is wonderful. I was looking forward to so looking forward to this Tails. I wouldn't have missed it for anything, uh, almost anything. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but it's it's great. It's great being back here with the feel of it. And like you said, I mean, I can't. I don't know how better to say it than how you just put it. Just seeing all these people again, getting distant hugs, and uh, and and just I don't know, absorbing all of this culture. I've been in New Orleans off season when no one's around, and it does feel so different. So the way it feels during tales is something almost indescribable. It's it's a really wonderful thing. I love I love it. I'll just say I love it. It really is. Well, speaking of uh, VS, very special. It was very special to me to get to talk to you. I haven't seen you in, in many years, and it's uh, it's great to see you again. You make drinks like nobody else. I mean, it's just they're fantastic. Dan, I mean, Dan, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. And 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 I just want to say, in keeping with that, I'll say XOXO to you. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Thank you, Miss Frankie Marshall. Everybody. I also want to say just very quickly, Miss Frankie Marshall is such a sweetheart, and I love working with her so much, and I'm very jealous that you got to spend more time with her than I did this week because she's very, very busy uh, doing a lot of work with Spirits Education and with Martell. Last time I saw her at BCB, out of nowhere. Bar Covenant Brooklyn. Brooklyn, yes. Co- uh, convent. It's, covenant, not, a, it's convent. not a nunnery. <laughs> There's, there were no nuns that I saw, but yeah. but she sees me, and she's like, oh, I've got something for you. And she pulls out of like her purse... Okay, she had just come from Guatemala, a hand woven. She ordained me. It was it was a yamaka. I mean, I'm pretty sure that it wasn't woven as a yamaka. It's probably a coaster. But she presented it to me as a yamaka, and uh, for my faith and tradition, that really meant a wow, lot to me. Wow, man, sweet. she yeah. she is fantastic. She's a very and, and I mean, person. one of the most stylish people oh, I've ever met. I mean, sure. she is purple is her theme. You do n- you. She's never showing up in jeans and a t-shirt. No. She just she's always Kinda dressed like to the night. Exactly. <laughs> like me. The exact she is the polar opposite of Brett. <laughs> well, that was pretty good, huh? 
And you know who else is are pretty okay? You, Brad Jeffy. Oh, thank you, you so and much. Uh, I know Miss Frankie Marshall, but I and don't. I would talk to you, man. I would talk to you all day. But you know what, Brad? It's over, Johnny. It's over. Nothing is over. It is over, though. There, can we can we put in one other quip where you're talking about my the way that I like to dress? Um, when we were at the house of Elix and uh, my buddy, um, your new buddy Eric Andre, the comedian, yes, stopped by. Yes, he sees me and he's like, "You look like every single person I've ever bought acid from." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Eric is a, he's a trip, man. And thank you for introducing me to him. We, we ended up hanging out a bunch, and he and I were at the airport together in New Orleans on the way home. And uh, man, do people love that guy. He was getting mobbed in the airport. We saw there was a, a, a group of uh, like a high school group on some sort of a school trip. Certainly not going to Tails. Coming back, I hope not. <laughs> coming back to Los Angeles and they were on our plane. And when we walked up towards the boarding area, these kids lost their shit, man. They went nuts. And it was like, the, it was like being with one of the Beatles back in the day. They were like, ah, every phone came out. They're all like this. And, doing, you know. and he's just so good, man. He, he like got in with them and he took a big selfie. So really cool introducing uh, him to, nah, I can't talk anymore. But uh, Brad, I appreciate you being on the show. What do you got going on? Where can people check you out on social media? What, what should we be looking for next? Where am I going? You know I have that very friendly, user-friendly uh, Instagram handle uh, at journeys underscore with underscore Jaffe, J-A-P-H-E. Super, super easy to remember. Um, I will be drinking uh, at uh, one of my favorite bars, The Prince, uh, before I leave town. I love getting cocktails from there, maybe even some fried chicken. Jose Andres has a new spot in downtown LA, which wow. I want to check out mm. while I'm here. Um, and then, uh, it's, uh, over to Chicago to check out some, some things, friends getting married and some new bars, of course. And then it's back to the UK, my friend, cause I'm expatriating. Can we get some updates from you from the UK? Absolutely. From the UK. And, um, I want to, yeah, put on a little outro music. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. I want to thank everybody that I was involved in this episode from Brian Cranston to Ms. Frankie Marshall to Brad to, of course, all of you out there doesn't happen without you uh, we got Glenn Howerton coming up soon oh, on man. episode I think Eric Andre might even be on this show at some point soon wait our music went down put it on again there we go yeah <laughs> let's try it again um, uh, Black Rebel Motorcycle Club is supposed to be doing an episode with us I'm going down to Fortaleza tequila soon oh that's gonna oh, be so it's going to be fun one of my favorite tequila brands and uh, Brad here's a cheers to you my friend Bye, everybody. Cheers.